You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Welcome to On the Bench. I am your host for this episode, Brendan Sinone, joined by, I guess, just myself for right now. But uh, but I will have reinforcements coming up in a little bit because it's going to be a two-part sort of episode or I guess a double header. I'm going to go for the next 10, 15 minutes or so and do something as we're 12 days through preseason camp uh, just to kind of take a take the temperature, do a little bit of inventory check on, on some thoughts and takeaways for Florida State. So basically... As FSU enters, if you're listening to this on Friday morning, day 13 of camp, I want to go through the first 12 days, give general thoughts, and basically 12 takeaways for 12 days of practice. That's what I'm going to do here. It's kind of a stream of consciousness. Uh, and then uh, after that, we are going to have Trey Rowland join to host another Trey, Trey Jackson. Uh, for you guys familiar with the 2013 championship series we're doing and familiar with that team, Trey Jackson was a very good starting offensive guard for the Seminoles, ended up having a really nice NFL career and would have been a lot nicer and longer if he uh, if he didn't have chronic knee issues, which he ends up talking about in the podcast. But you know, Trey Jackson, one of my favorite interviews that we've had to date so far. He was funny, uh, pretty self-assured with a lot of things and, uh, and insightful into what that offense was like. He was obviously on the field for that game-winning touchdown pass from Jameis Winston to Kelvin Benjamin give you a little insight into what it was like being recruited by Rick Trickett. It's a really fun interview as we kind of continue uh, this series through the final parts of the off season. Uh, I think you're really going to look, uh, really going to enjoy it. I look forward to you guys listening to it. Uh, before we go any further into my 12 thoughts of preseason camp, I want to give a shout out to our sponsors, Chattanooga Whiskey. They fuel me. Uh, I love, I love everything that they do. Uh, they, uh, a fantastic job in the craft distillery scene. Uh, their rye whiskey is probably something I'm going to be partaking in this weekend. Uh, maybe, maybe when we do our team draft coming up on Sunday evening, more details on that later on Knowles 24-7. Uh, their cast strength, 111 proof bourbon, awesome bang for your buck. Uh, and then some of their experimental uh, line as well is phenomenal. And you can find them throughout, really all throughout the state of Florida, Big shops, little shops. If you want to go on sealbacks.com, S-E-E-L-B-A-C-H apostrophe S. Uh, Sealbacks always has their stuff in stock as well. And you can order online from them uh, just about anywhere in the Southeast. So a lot of options. Chattanooga Whiskey, awesome job, awesome sponsor. Uh, Next up, want to give a shout out to the Turner Group, the sponsors of Buy or Sinone. Don't Sinone on buying or selling a home just because it is an overwhelming process to get your head around. Colin Turner and Amy Turner are husband-wife team, FSU grads, both of them, that are doing an amazing job uh, moving a lot of houses throughout the state of Florida. Very busy. They have a smaller agency, but it is a high-end one, very well-reviewed and well-rated. And they get so many deals done because of how well-connected Colin is throughout the state. And because of how hard they both work and, and their agency work. So the Turner Group cannot rec- them, recommend them enough. Uh, if you're starting to even consider entering the housing market, make sure they're your first call. If you don't know where to get started, they'll help you out. Uh, just Google the Turner Group. You get all the information you want there. Um, and, and yeah, Colin's been helpful for me in making sure I'm making the right decisions. I know he'll be helpful to anyone who reaches out, especially if you're a fellow Seminole fan. Uh, he loves the Knowles. And then finally... Our latest sponsor, this game's a lot of fun, guys. Uh, on the Bench is brought to you by Football Coach College Dynasty with a 95% positive rating on Steam. Football Coach College Dynasty is the ultimate college football management game for PCs. Uh, they're not on Apple yet, but Zach explained in the last podcast they're working on that. So right now you go to Steam, uh, which if you have a PC, it's pretty easy to download. I have a few games there. Uh, 
very impressed with my technological savvy as a 34 year old, I know. Um, but you can basically control a college football program uh, from head to toe. Like you are able to drop bags for NIL deals. You're able to recruit players. You can call plays. You have very in-depth game plans. You choose how to develop your team. Uh, and eventually you're going to compete for national championships is the goal. That's featuring everything you love about college football, including conference realignment, school boosters, official visits for recruits, the transfer portal. And as mentioned earlier, my favorite part, NIL, get to figure out how to spend that money, who to spend it on. It's a lot of fun. Football coach, College Dynasty is available on Steam for $11.99. Ton of fun. Spent a lot of time on it so far this uh, this summer. All right, so let's get into it, guys. My 12 takeaways through 12 practices for Florida State. This isn't like, this kind of stream of consciousness. I wrote down a few thoughts earlier, but really just going to kind of go off the top of my head to talk about some, some of the takeaways that I feel strongly about. These are opinions, obviously. These are my observations from being there at practice, in addition to talking to sources as well. So things that I just I can confidently state at this point through 12 practices. Or even like one or two of these are going to be things that I can confidently say, like, give me a source of anxiety, right? Uh, but it, it's going to be stuff that I feel strongly about. And it's not going to be any rhyme or reason or order to it. Just this is how I feel. These are takeaways. Uh, and, and yeah, and I feel strongly about these things. So let's get going. Point number one, Johnny Wilson is noticeably better than he was at this time last year. We saw it in the spring, him showing signs of becoming a more complete wide receiver. Uh, specifically, I think the way he was moving, I saw some of the quickness, the, the footwork, uh, just a more polished route runner. And I think we've seen that continue from the spring into preseason camp. He's playing with a lot of confidence, a lot of consistency. I know there's a lot of storylines out there about his ability to catch the ball more cleanly. You drop about 10% of your pass, uh, passing targets last year. Like that's going to be a thing that people are going to talk about. It was a thing that concerned us last year when we watched him in the spring and in the preseason that concern doesn't really exist now. I can tell you that he's going to be perfect. I can't project like how many drops or percentage of catches he's going to make. I just know that he's far more consistent, far more cleaner in catching the ball, and everything else about him just seems like it's been leveled up. So as good as he was last year, getting about 900 receiving yards, I just I feel very strong that he's continuing to ascend as a player, someone who looks to be a more complete receiver than he ever has been does things that are just freaky every single practice, but the floor has been raised, and, and that's exciting to me. Uh, let's see. Next up, Braden Fisk is a hit in the transfer portal. I feel very confident and strongly about saying that FSU hit on Braden Fisk. Is he going to be dominant at the Power 5 level? I don't know that. I, I don't know that, but I, what I do know is that his energy, his pass rush skills, his athleticism – those are all things that will play and he will make an impact. He belongs at the power five or his power four level. Now uh, he will make a smooth transition from the G five level. Again, we'll see. He's like seen every down kind of dominant force or see someone who's going to be more of a specialty player who, who makes a really profound impact on an important part of the game, which is getting to the quarterback. Yeah. TBD, but, but like he will be someone who plays a lot for Florida state. And I imagine will play well I said this before, I think you guys are going to be excited to see him and get to see what he can do uh, when the season starts. All right, number three. I'm rubbing my hands together here because I'm excited about this one. Brock Glenn has a chance to be really, really good. All aboard the Brock bus, or as they're calling it at the Knowles 24-7 message board, the Glenissance, uh, which is a great nickname, so much better than the, the Brock bus that I came up with. Uh, either way, whether you want to call it the Glenissance, the, the Brock bus, I'm all aboard. I am a big fan of his poise and his charisma. It's things we've talked about before, right? And then we, on the last podcast, talked about how we heard he performed in the scrimmage. And now we have a couple of follow-up practices to that. And, and I feel like he just keeps leveling up. And that's not to say, like, he's he's perfect or even, like, prodigious as a quarterback. Like, his physical tools are good. He's not this freaky athlete, but he's got athleticism and he has a good arm. It's the way he kind of handles himself, carries himself as a quarterback um, with a lot of swagger. Mike Norvell said it very well the other day that he admires or loves coaching 
Brock Glenn because he doesn't make the same mistakes over and over. And like during Thursday's practice, like Brock Glenn threw a bad interception. His eyes just locked in at a certain receiver, a certain target downfield. And defensive back was able to make an easy, well, make an easy read to go play the ball, made a really good interception uh, to bring it down in bounds near the sideline. But like it was just Brock making a rookie mistake. But the pluses, like the good moments, which are outweigh the bad ones for sure at this point, which is awesome. Like that's that's a really good starting point, given that he's about 25, 30 practices into his uh, college career. I think he does an excellent job at getting rid of the ball quickly, at being decisive with what he sees. And there's a couple of like plays in practice recently where like the first thing's not there and he almost feels or senses the second or third option like opening up and then has the arm talent, like enough of it to get it to where it, it needs to be. And so, um, you know, everything that Brady White was for Mike Norvell at Memphis, like I, with as far as like being able to process things and get rid of the ball and, and play point guard, Brock Glenn is, has the potential to be that, but, but with more athleticism and, and a better arm. Um, he, he's been a lot of fun to watch. I feel like, it would have been ideal if him and Luke Cromenhawk were more than a class apart. I think it it stinks that you know that how are you going to be able to keep both of those guys over a long period of time? But I'm getting way ahead of myself there. But it is a dynamic that I've already started to consider because I am so eager to see how Brock Glenn considers to develop. Like I, I am, that's a takeaway. He has a chance to be very good. Uh, number four, FSU should be able to run the ball at a high level again. FSU was a top 10 program running the football last year. You bring back Trey Benson. He's moving at a really high level and with, with a lot of authority as he runs, in addition to the speed that you know he already has. Big fan of Keziah Holmes, Rodney Hill, like those two are going to help. Uh, and then Lawrence Toa Philly, like he's become a more well-rounded running back, it seems like. But I'm going to like point to the offensive line here. I think there would be a really good run blocking group. I do. I think there's more size up front than there has been in the past. There's more depth to uh, have insurance to injuries. And we see them like there's been a couple of days where the, the defense has, has barreled down and been really good stopping the run. But there's also been these long stretches of practice where you see the offensive line create, create holes and create gaps and, and give the running backs and, and quarterbacks a chance to run the football. I think we saw some of that on Thursday during a truncated practice. And I've seen enough of it through enough days to be like, okay, I think this, this offensive line is going to be able to create some space consistently with the really good running backs with Jordan Travis being the threat, even just the idea of him running can scare defenses and take things, um, take some pressure off of the running backs. Yeah. Like I, I think the run game is going to be really good again this year. I feel confident in that. Number five, Azari Thomas is back. He ended last season on a pretty high note. The spring, not fantastic for him. Turns out he was playing injured. Now we've gotten to see him be healthy through uh, 12 practices, and he's been super impressive. I think what stands out the most to me is his mindset. There were times early in his freshman campaign where he would lose, and you kind of see him lose confidence with losing a rep. And now you see him, even in the spring, again, when he wasn't 100%, like, he'd get picked on sometimes by Johnny Wilson. And now he's playing with so much more confidence where he's giving Johnny a hard time quite often. And listen, sometimes Johnny wins those battles, but AZ wins a fair share as well. And uh, you're just seeing this young, uh, rising sophomore guy who doesn't play a whole lot. You're seeing him start to kind of find himself a little bit and carry himself with a little bit more confidence. Combine that with his frame. He's six foot two, moving really well, looks healthy, like all that stuff. Like, yeah, there's reason to be excited. Mike Norvell praised his uh, versatility as a defensive back. So I think that points to like how they feel about him from a mental standpoint, super mature, and they feel like he can play multiple positions if needed. Uh, stock is like ascending for AZ. Uh, again, confident in that. Uh, number six is for the six newcomers at defensive back who will help out. I feel pretty strongly about this sooner or later. Mike, Mark, Mike, uh, Mark Norvell. Who's Mark Norvell? Mike Norvell. It's really hard to do a podcast by yourself for like 15 minutes, guys. Um, Mike Norvell said after Wednesday's practice that he felt like those six newcomers at defensive back 
were going to be contributors sooner or later and, and at some point in their careers. And like, that's how I feel too watching them. Uh, Quinn Darius Jones and KJ Kirkland were already at Florida state in the spring. I think we had a pretty good idea of watching them play and how they carry themselves as freshmen, like arriving early. Like, yeah, there's size, there's physical tools, there's a level of maturity. I've seen both of those guys kind of, kind of carry that over into preseason camp. Uh, the two South Florida guys, Conrad Hussey, uh, as well as Edwin Joseph have been super impressive, ball hawking, natural defensive backs. Uh, they're going to have chance to be really good players. They both have a really high upside. Obviously, like a steeper learning curve because they weren't here in the spring. Stinks. It would have been great if they were. Uh, but alas, they were not. Um, and and so, um, yeah, I don't know if that puts a cap on like how early they can play, but they will play a, at a really high level at some point in their careers. Uh, both guys look like future starters in, in my estimation with their athleticism, their instincts. It's all really good stuff there. And they both come from two really good programs and, and that will help as well. Uh, Ashlyn Barker, the Juco safety, like I think you hit on him. That was a questionable take for some when FSU decided to take him. I liked it. I liked the film that we saw of his I trusted the eval. Um, yeah, it was a gamble because there wasn't a whole lot of junior college tape to go off of. But like he's physical, he's around the ball a lot. He has upside to maybe develop into a linebacker, but it could also be an old school like alley safety. Uh, he's been really good. And then Jabril Rawls like needs to put on a little bit of weight. Probably will take a little bit of time to season, but like very instinctual, uh, has a nice like sense for the feel of the game. And so all those guys like belong at this level. They'll be able to contribute to some capacity or another. I don't know how early, but but yes, they will all belong. Uh, number seven, this is a Mia Copa. Like I. I missed on Kaziah Holmes. I was not super impressed with him last year when he arrived at Florida State and looked to be in great shape. Obviously, it was tough to fully judge his game because he was uh, working pretty much behind the scout team, but like started to see some signs of that in the spring. He wasn't 100% for parts of the spring, so he couldn't fully get like a, a grasp on what he was going to be able to do other than be like, okay, there's a little bit more athleticism there than I initially thought. Went into preseason camp thinking he was going to be like a bruising power back um he's more than that you know I like watching him as a blocker I love the way he like his natural like tracking skills like as he follows like little alleys and creases as a running back uh does a really nice job setting things up very complete runner I think he's kind of forced the issue to where like maybe before the year yeah like a, like a guy who is going to be your you know 215 battering ram to spell Trey Benson sometimes inside the goal line uh now he just does so much well like I don't know how you you don't find a way to play him sometimes. <laughs> the running back group is is pretty good. Uh, number eight, Jaheim Bell. He is a weapon. Uh, we kind of assumed as much given how impactful he was at South Carolina. He was the number one tight end over the last two years in terms of broken tackles, versatile, uh, athletic. But you kind of see him kind of starting to ascend to, to put it together here and get comfortable in the offense this last week or so starting with the scrimmage where he was just bulldozing people and breaking six, seven, eight tackles on a rep. Uh, it's seen that the last couple of days where he's ending runs uh, or, or, catch, or runs after the catch with authority, throwing nasty stiff arms at people. Like he's starting to kind of uh, assert himself a little bit. And, and that's a good sign for Florida state. Oh, uh, let's see uh, my biggest concerns uh, as a takeaway. I don't think any of, the, any of these are like huge concerns, but, Comparatively speaking to a roster I feel really good about, these ones don't give me the warm and fuzzies, I think would be the best way to phrase it. Um, number one is, is place kicker. It's been a little bit better, actually a, a good deal better than it's been in previous off seasons uh, and, and certainly last season. But the last few days hasn't been as sharp. So let's see how the guys bounce back, both uh, Tyler Keltner and Ryan Fitzgerald. I think... Yeah, I, I do have a higher just watching how they kick the ball. And even when they miss, like it does look better coming off the foot. So small sample size that we're seeing uh, again, I don't have like a, a glowing, like, yeah, I don't have any issues or worries there. I think it'll be better. Um, that doesn't exist, but like, I don't think it's just like, Oh man, they're, they're screwed either. It's kind of, kind of like a TBD type of type of deal, but I, I do do. It's something to continue monitoring, I guess is maybe the best way I can, I can say it. Uh, safety. You know, as much as I like some of the underclassmen and think they have high upside, yeah, I still want to see that room be a little bit more impactful. Now, Thursday practice with Shaheem Brown, I thought he was probably the most 
active that we've seen in the preseason camp. That's a good sign if he's starting to put it together and build confidence because you need him to. He's so athletic and can do so many different things given his upside and like there's NFL skills there. Uh, you need him to kind of be a borderline star for you this year um, to replace Jamie Robinson. And you need Akeem Dent and another veteran like Kevin Knowles to, to be more like solid, reliable pieces. Uh, and so if that happens, and I think you feel fine and you can trust like one of those freshmen to break through and emerge to be in the two deep uh, just kind of depends. And then what, what the, like those veterans are able to do in the coming weeks here to, to really see if we can like ascend and, and play at a more impactful level. And finally, his punt returner. And some of that's been eased by seeing, seeing, seeing Keon Coleman do a really nice job fielding the ball confidently. But you know, I don't feel like there's a bunch of guys who I trust there. Uh, Destin Hill might be solid at it. I know they've mentioned Lawrence Tofilly. I don't necessarily feel like he's a supernatural fielder of punts uh, based on what I've seen with a limited scope. Um, so, like, we'll see. Like, I think you can trust Keon Coleman. Thing is, like, with Micah Pittman last year, like, you knew he was going to field everything. He had a pretty good track record of it. And other than, like, the spring game uh, where he lost the ball in the sun, like, I feel like he, there weren't a whole lot of times where the ball was punted to him and you were holding your breath, right? Uh, and he obviously built confidence in the fan base or for the fan base as the year went on. But, like, it, it I don't think I go into the season this year with as much confidence as I did last year at punt returner. Um, those are my like three, you know, takeaways of like positions that that don't give me the warm and fuzzies. Number ten, Jared Verse is better. I just he's, I, I, I think it was the first day I came back after being sick and then then traveling a lot. Where I think they were in shells, I can't remember, but like physicality was starting to ramp up a little bit, and some of the moves he made off the edge with the power, it was like so violent and like almost aggressive and yet controlled. Like it was it was scary 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 sight to see like where i was like a gas at i was like oh my he's moving at a speed and at a again the explosiveness like a level that i haven't really seen from him or really any defensive end that close and in person in a while and that's even including jermaine johnson who's more crafty and, and different the way they're going to go about it even though both athletic it's like a different type of athleticism i guess jared verse really impressive with what we've seen i'm super confident that yes like he is he is better than he was last year, which should be a horrifying proposition for opposing offensive tackles this year. Uh, number 11, I think I can trust the corners at a pretty high level. I have a good level of trust watching Fentrell Cypress to be in a good position consistently and handle himself and be professional and like not going bad slumps where he loses confidence. I, I think I mentioned Azaria Thomas earlier, like he's building confidence in me. Uh, I, I know like Renardo Green, what you're getting with him, which is going to be super physical corner, someone with a, a high, high level of like self-assurance. Uh, Greedy Vance has been really good this camp. I have so much more confidence in him than I did a year ago at this time. I think he has more confidence in himself and is just playing with a lot more speed as he knows where he's supposed to be, communicates at a high level. Jarian Jones, like also like confidence physicality like that's all there so like that's your kind of that's your that's your nucleus there's some versatility with that group and you can kind of expand out and you know Kevin Knowles I've mentioned will play safety will play slot corner um he seems to be better like that shoulder doesn't be bothering him anymore uh, so yeah I, I don't know if it's gonna be like a dominant cornerback group but I think you the depth and like the answers that you have there are are pretty assuring and I, I don't know if I felt quite that way last year. So that's a, a positive step for sure going into the season. And this is point number 12 before I wrap up here and get the, the podcast going to Trey and Trey should be in a podcast. Trey squared. Uh, I can't, there's Trey duo. I don't know something better than what I can think of, but last point, number 12 for 12 practices. Mike Ravel likes his team. He said as much the other day, and it's funny, it came on Wednesday afternoon and it was after two really good practices. Like that that Tuesday practice, their first one back from the Sunday scrimmage, I thought it was one of the best practices I've covered here in the Mike Norvell era uh, since we've been able to come the last few years to, to watch practices in person. It was just super competitive. Uh, guys were, I remember Jimbo Fisher talking about this and it stuck with me, like, when people make plays in practice, are they making plays because something's gifted to them 
uh, because they're just physically superior and it's easy for them? Or are they going out and taking it? Or are they going out and just outright making a play and winning that rep? And I think that's what I saw a ton of on Tuesday. That gives me so much confidence. Like, oh, these guys are, these guys are competitive. These guys are self-assured and building confidence. And like, even when the offense wins a rep or the defense wins a rep, the other side's coming back to battle for it. And so I thought Tuesday was one of the most fun practices and one of the most competitive ones that I've seen uh, with high-end athleticism in addition to just like the, those core like principles of competing and responding that, that Mike Gravel loves so much. Um, and then Wednesday was really good as well. And and so like you feel like the team's kicking a little bit. And so I don't think it's a, a surprise that, that Mike came out and talked about the team so glowingly to start talking about the identity of them and kind of mentioned that himself that he like he he quote unquote likes his team. He likes his group, he likes the way they work. It's coming together. I think I saw it. He seems to definitely have seen it and, and uh, makes me feel good, you know, <laughs> that I kind of was like, oh, I kind of know what I'm looking at at practice. Like I think I saw what, what the coach saw. Uh before he said it and then he came out and said it, I was like okay yes like that is that's a good thing um that's a good thing that he is starting to to see it all kind of meld together the way he wants to and I know what the standard is for them I know it's to win a bunch of games although he'll say the standard is uh doing the best you can and competing and being your best um but that's what the upside of this team is like if they play their best if they play their a game every single game of the season I think they they go 12 and 0. It's just can you reach that level? Can you get there all the time? That's why I still talk about that viewing it in the prism of a of a 10 win team right now with the upside to win more than that. It's can you get there? And like they are taking steps to do it. This is a good team. Probably a very good college football team. Upside to be a great team this season. Like we will see. Like you have to have some injury luck need some other things to kind of break right for you in terms of development. Some of the sources of anxiety I mentioned need to smooth out uh, and some of the projections of guys taking the next step that that I talked about here on the podcast that need to come to fruition, but there's a lot of it there. It exists. It's a fun team to watch right now. I am excited for you guys to, to see them in the season opener against LSU. And even what happens that game, like to watch them throughout the season. Cause I think it's a team that is built to, to be very dangerous and win in a lot of variety of ways. So 12 practices, those are 12, 12 takeaways for me. This is kind of a stream of consciousness podcast, a lot of rambling, I know, but hopefully a lot of information for you in there as well. I want to give one more thanks to our sponsors. Uh, really appreciate them for, for giving us a chance to give us an opportunity. Please support us if you like this podcast by supporting them in a variety of ways, right? Uh, drinking Chattanooga whiskey, the Turner Group, or uh, playing a little bit of football coach college dynasty. Maybe do all together. Probably call the Turner Group first, then drink some whiskey to celebrate on buying or selling a home while playing a little college football dynasty. Get drunk and and turn you know Tulane into to a, a legit dynasty. That sounds like fun. All right, so that's it for me. Happy Friday, everyone. Hope you all enjoyed your week. Uh, Thank you for listening to these ramblings. Again, hopefully it was insightful to some extent for you. Uh, And now for the master of interviews, Trey Rowland, he's going to be interviewing Trey Jackson. A lot of fun coming up, celebrating this 10 year anniversary of this 2013 team. Uh, These two guys talk a little bit of, of championship football. It's going to be fun. So listen up, here it comes. Hey everybody. Welcome. Another episode of 24 seven sports on the bench. One-on-one interview series. We are highlighting the luminaries from that 2013 FSU National Championship game. Trey Rowland here, Brendan Sinone, and I am here with the man of the hour, national champion, NFL draft selection, Super Bowl champion, and one of only 38 consensus All-Americans in FSU program history. That is offensive lineman Trey Jackson. Trey, how you doing? I'm good. How you doing, man? I'm hanging in there. I heard you took a little nap for the podcast. You're all well-rested and ready to go, right? Oh, yeah. I'm energized. Now I'm here. <laughs> and not only one of 38, one of only seven consensus All-American offensive linemen in Florida State's history, which is which is pretty nuts. Out of that list of accomplishments, is there one of those that you're most proud of? Do you feel like your career was actually kind of slept on, like in terms of like FSU greats? Uh, you know, that's my first time actually – like I, I never knew I was one of thirty-eight and one of seven until you just mentioned that. 
Uh, but there you go. I feel like not that my career was slept on, because I feel like I did I did some great things. But I mean, I feel like injuries kind of harmed my career a little bit. So guys probably slept on it after my injuries and stuff. But mm-hmm. I mean, we here. It is what it is. <laughs> and unfortunately, man, that's something you had to deal with even coming out of high school. You kind of had like the ultimate underdog story. I believe you had a knee injury your junior year of high school, right? You missed your entire junior year. <laughs> right. Right. Nagging knee injury. Yeah, Wayne County High, right, in Georgia? Yes, sir. Wayne County, Justin, Georgia. That's right. Represent. Um, yes, sir. Uh, <laughs> I went to. That's right, man. So you come out, you're slept on by the recruiting services, including our own, because of that injury. They don't know if you're going to be a defensive tackle or an offensive lineman. You end up, like you said, becoming one of arguably the best interior offensive linemen in the school's history because of your accomplishments. But can you describe that recruitment? When did FSU get involved late? I mean, you were committed to Georgia Tech for a while as well, right? Uh, yeah, it was. I mean, like, Florida State was – actually, Florida State wasn't even in the picture at first. And, I mean, like you said, I committed to Georgia Tech. Uh, I, I had a strong commitment with Georgia Tech. And Jumbo and Coach Trickett came down to uh, Wayne County. And my mom, she fell in love with, like, <laughs> the like the – coaching staff off the bat so she was like locked in before I was and then <laughs> we, took, we took a trip down to Tallahassee and once we got down to Tallahassee and I saw everything that was going on how Jumbo had his team coming along and stuff it was like I, after that I was locked in did, did uh when you took your official visit to Tallahassee to Georgia Tech Paul this is triple option Paul Johnson did he pull the offer or did oh, you decommit man, Paul Johnson went crazy on me did he really? What'd he say, man? Give me a little – I want to hear that because that guy looks like he can just chew people up. It was it was before uh, before I even took my official visit, I had uh, reached out to him and let him know because at the time you could have you could do five official visits, and I had only been on one, and I was to Georgia Tech. So I had uh, reached out and let him know I was planning on going to a few more official visits just to get my visits out of the way. Like mm-hmm. just to see being from just just to see some other things, you feel me? Yeah. And uh, man, <laughs> that didn't sit too well with Paul Johnson. He <laughs> he called me and uh, he was like, uh, "Trey, you know we don't allow guys to go on visits once you're committed to us." And uh, I was like, "Yeah, I, I'm not I'm not opening up my recruitment or anything. I'm locked in with you, Paul. I'm I'm just going out to get my to see some things, get my visits out the way." Oh man, he went bananas! Like, <laughs> can you say anything that he might have said that was a little colorful, or do you want to keep it a family show? I'm uh, I, ain't, I ain't gonna put too much what was said out there, but I'll let it be known that we, I was I was on speakerphone with Paul Johnson sitting by my mom. Oh no! Uh, oh no! Yeah, when he when he kind of blessed me out and hung up the phone, my mom was like calling back and tell him like. You taking the visits? Cause, cause after after he had, after me and him had got off the phone, it was like, dang, I, it might be best for me not to take the visits. But I hung up, and my mom was saying that she was like, no, call him back and tell him you're taking your official visits to Florida State, Miami, such and such, such such. So I called him back, and it was like he was like, well, we're gonna pull our offer off the table after that. So after that, after he, after he blessed me and pulled his offer, the next weekend I uh. Me and my mom hopped in the car. We rolled out to Tallahassee, and uh, that was my that would that was my second official visit. I already had one at Georgia Tech, but then I went on the one to Tallahassee, and after that, it was just locked in with Florida State. Oh man, I love such an awesome story. That's exactly how I figured Paul Johnson would have handled that. Um, so you talked about you talked about the charmers of Florida State staff on Mrs. Jackson. How is Rick? How is Rick Trickett as a recruiter? Is he can he charm the parents a little bit? Like oh, he's, a pretty, man, I he's Trick- a hard-ass coach, man. Coach Trickett is. I don't know what kind of charm he has with parents, but <laughs> on your mom, yeah, he gonna lock your mom in off the bat. <laughs> he, coach Trick, Coach Trickett, a hell of a coach. I, I love Coach Trickett, but the way that he locked my mom in, I don't know what what went on, but. He put a charm on your parents. Trey, does he let it be known during the recruiting process, like his style of recruiting, that intense? Like, and I'll have you talk about it later. 
But did you know what you were getting into when you committed to playing for Rick Trickett? Well, when he came, when him and Jumbo came to my to my uh, high school, my first time meeting Coach Trickett. I mean, he came in. You know, Coach Trickett like likes to chew his cigars, wear cowboy <laughs> hats, cowboy boots. So he came into in the Justin Georgia. He got cowboy hats, nice pair of cowboy boots with his cigar in his mouth. So it's like straight out of the western somewhere. Type. <laughs> I love that, man. I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. It was a sight to see. Oh, my God, I bet. So that transition to college ball, can you describe that? Because I think the plans were first you coming into um, – you are planning on redshirting, but then I think injuries changed that. So talk about your transition to Florida State and the transition from, like, how was it to get coached by Coach Trickett? Like, is everybody's preconception of his style accurate or no? Oh uh, yeah, I was well. Actually, I was I was consistent with my injury coming out of my junior year. I was like I was being talked to some some schools was talking to me about gray shirting, not even mm-hmm. red shirting, gray shirting. Uh, oh okay. Coach Trickett, I uh, got with Coach Trickett. He told he came in watch my film. He was like, "You you'll have a shot to come in and play. Not gonna say start, but you'll have a shot to get some uh, PT." So. Coming in, uh, coming into college, I was I was basically looking just to get on the team, really. But uh, we had a few guys that went down early on our offensive line, so step up to the bat, young man, was really what it was like. So, how, how was that? Who was your first game against? Do you remember? My first game starting was Notre Dame, and that oh, was uh, that was the bowl game my my uh, freshman year. So uh, we had some some big name guys go down, Verlaw, uh Those guys, we I think we we wind up starting like four freshmen that that game. And this is this is in a bowl game, so like we had four freshmen starting in a bowl game. That was a tough one, man. I remember that. And the Notre Dame team was pretty good. I think Tommy Reese was on that team. Any any like welcome to college moments from you from that? I think it was the Champ Sports Bowl. Anything that sticks out in your mind? Like, oh man, dude, this is serious. Man, I was so I I was so like shook. Not like this is my first bowl game. The team the team has already been like letting it be known like we we playing with four freshmen. Like y'all 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 like this game is on y'all back. So, oh man, going into that game like I was so. I don't want to say shook, but so nerd, like nerve wracked. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so, so like going to that game, I was, I was basically like, Trey, don't, don't be the one to mess it up. Don't be the one to mess it up. <laughs> no false starts, man. You don't right. want to go back to trick it after a false start. Right, um, right. So it's funny you you play that game. Florida State wins. It's kind of like the beginning of the ascension of the Jimbo era. You start like the next forty two games in a row. Let's fast forward to the 2013 offseason. Florida State had argued, a lot of people might argue that the 2012 team was even more talented than 2013, but there was some disappointment, a slip up here against NC State, Florida, things like that. Were you guys disappointed by how 2012 ended, or did that motivate you into 2013? What was the team's mood in that offseason? Uh, I feel like, like you say, we had we had a pretty good team 2012 as well. And, uh, which we was looking forward to running the tables then, but NC State, we took a hard, a hard loss to NC State down in NC State in 2012, mm-hmm. and that kind of like shook our whole season there. A lot of guys used that as momentum going into summer, summer camp, going into uh, the 2013 season, and nobody really wanted to feel that feeling again. Like we had ESPN, like talking about us and stuff, but nobody wanted to be the team that got knocked off. So <laughs> now now you were in that that off that offseason was very famous for that quarterback battle between Jameis and uh and Coker. What do you what do you remember that quarterback battle as being like a is like a a veteran member of that offense? When did everybody know that it would be Jameis or when did you know? Oh uh, man, not just 
not just being Jameis and Coker. Uh, I say Clint Trickett had a big part in that as well, too. In oh, battle. really? Yeah, Clint Trickett, he played a big part in that battle as well, too. Uh, those guys, like the whole, so no, no one knew who we were going with game one the whole the whole summer. Like one guy get five reps, one guy get five reps, one guy. Oh like, man! And then the the main the like no one probably knows this, but we're we're sitting in a meeting this like a week before, probably like two weeks before the season kickoff. Meeting and Coach Trickett comes in the in the meeting room. I actually don't know. I'm supposed to be telling y'all this now, but <laughs> Coach Trickett comes <laughs> in the meeting room and he's like, he like uh. That number five, he has the dog in him. I told my son to uh, get out of here because that number five has it in him. So No, no way, like, man. He came in and was like, Jameis got that dog in him. Like, it was, we knew what it was then. But the whole time, like, these guys, like, that was, that was probably the biggest position battle I've been a part of in my career. But, like, these guys, and not to, not to knock ne- neither one of them, these guys battled, but was brothers outside of the field. Like, that's why you make me better, I make you better. We go, like, we gonna make this team better. Like, oh man, that's man, Clint, dude. That, that, and the fact that Rick Tricky was saying stuff like he's got that dog in him, like ten years before Twitter. I really appreciate that. Um, yeah. You know what? And because you mentioned that it was the biggest quarterback battle, obviously after 2013, like a popular internet narrative is how 2012 might have been different with like a freshman Jameis instead of a senior EJ Manuel, which I think is kind of disrespectful to EJ. What's your opinion on that? Would Jameis have been ready to lead the team in 2012? And do you think you guys would have had a better year? Uh, I won't. I won't go that far to say that. Uh... Mm-hmm. EJ, EJ did a heck of a job, and I don't I don't put anything that went on in that season on EJ or none of that. We uh we we took our loss as a team. Sure. But uh like I said, James had that dog in him back. Like, <laughs> I love that he said I still love the trick and said that, man. Uh, so what um what were the battles like? We talked about the quarterback battles, but what about the battles like in the trenches between the offensive and the defensive lines, man? How were those practices? Who were some guys that were the toughest for you, like in practice on our team to block from that D line? And are there any like fun, like battle, maybe scuffles that happen between the trench monsters? Oh man, every day was like war. <laughs> every day, like you, would you after practice or first? Hour and a half, two hours after practice, you got offensive linemen, defensive linemen, like sitting on the field, on the fence, just trying to get your body back. Because every day, we was good on good, like battle, battle, and like we we'll, we we'll even have periods where it'd be an offensive period, but the D, we still got to go up against our our twenty thirteen national champion defensive line. So, I mean, and then you got guys like Timmy Journey in that. Like me, for me being inside interior uh-huh. and Timmy Jernigan, he was playing nose guard three ten. So I was basically up against Timmy every day. So I like that was that, like, that was <laughs> That's a tough, tough job, man. Yeah. Uh, uh, was he the guy that when he'd like line up? Did you guys have a good relationship outside of that, or did you guys go up against each other too much? Oh no no no! We was outside, outside of which. That's what I think made our team what we were in 2013. Out like when we put on the pads, it was like we going to war. But then mm-hmm. soon as soon as Coach Jumbo blew up the whistle, we walked off the field. Like soon as that happened, we were back to brothers. So I think that's what made our team come together, gel so good in the camaraderie. Yeah, and Trey, so obviously there was a lot of things. We saw how great you guys were on the field in 2013. But there were some were there some practice moments from that offense that were just as impressive for you to see on the field during the game? Like those running backs to block for your fellow offensive line teammates. Are there some things from the practice field that fans don't know that just like any like jaw-dropping unknown moments from those practices? Uh, the main thing, I don't, I don't know if this answers your question, but the main thing that's like from practice to game for me, we go going into the national championship. The uh, 
our Thursday practice, we're having a walk. It's not a walkthrough, but it's like a cell practice. Mm-hmm. We're going the end of practice. We do two minute drill every every Thursday. So we're going into two minute drill, and Coach Jumbo comes. He comes in and uh, chews Jameis out. Jameis had a misread. He comes in and like chews him out on his misery. Like we like oh, Coach wow. Thursday. Calm down this Thursday before the national championship. Calm down. He going crazy. So then we get in. We get in the national championship game, and the game comes down to a two minute drive. So right. We're in the huddle. So we're in the huddle, and Jameis coming. I mean, James. Everybody knows James was goofy. James was the guy. So James comes in. And he comes in the huddle with the play. Two minute drive. We on the drive to go win the game. The first thing you say is. Y'all look at this. I just got kicked out of practice for this for the two minute drill. And now I'm gonna go win this game with a two minute drill. So like that's the biggest thing like from practice to game that played to me. But that was crazy. That so with that then the, obviously there was the, the two minute drill. We've talked to some other guys from that team. That was that was something that was instilled in you guys every single week, every single week of the season, right? That emphasis on the two minute drill. Can you, you say that again? You broke up a little bit. Oh, no, you're fine. That, so that emphasis on the two-minute drill, that was something that we've talked to other guys from that team that was instilled every single week of practice. That final drive against Auburn, had you guys run that series of plays before? Like, how how familiar was that entire sequence for you by the end of it? Man, two-minute drill, like, we could be playing against – we could be playing against, like, week week two – Playing against a, a team that we know we 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 should run the dog on, and mm-hmm. like two minute drill on third. Like, if you wasn't locked in in that two minute drill, if you wasn't locked in in that two minute drill, like anybody could get called out. It was like coaches was looking for the the first ten drop on a two minute drill situation. Like, you can mess up all during practice. Don't mess up during the two minute drill. What was the worst you ever got it? Did you ever get called to the carpet on the two minute, or did you uh, stick to the P's and Q's? Oh no, I try to be on all my P's and Q's every two minutes. <laughs> like I, it's some it's some stuff that you can you can throw gasoline on and hope the plane don't catch, but two minute drill ain't one of the things. Oh, that's awesome, man. So. Well, I want, I want to talk a little bit more about the Natty in, in a little bit, but as far as, like, your favorite memories from that season that, w- that wasn't the national championship, was it, like, the Clemson game? Was it playing against, like, future, like, Hall of Famer Aaron Donald in, in Pittsburgh uh, in that first game of the season? Can, a lot can, of people you, repeat, can you repeat that? I... Yeah, yeah, not a problem. Can you repeat? So, yeah, so, Trey, so, obviously I want to talk about the Natty a little bit more in a bit. But what was one of some of your favorite memories from the season? Was it silencing that cloud and crowd in Clemson? Was it playing against like a future Hall of Famer and Aaron Donald? What are some moments from that season that stick out besides the Natty? Oh, of course, that Clemson game, which coming into Clemson, like everybody expected, not to say, I'm not going to say expected us to lose, but Clemson was expecting to beat us that game. Oh, yeah. Uh, like, I think we went in as the underdog, matter of fact. But uh, like getting off the bus, they was rocking down there. Like they had our buses shaking, like they going crazy coming out the <laughs> locker room. Fans throwing cups, like oh no, the, man! Did like, you get hit with one or no? No, nah, I, I I didn't get hit with one, but it's going like it's this college atmosphere. Like if you if you had to be there to experience it, but it's like this feel like the national championship game before the next championship game. But, I mean, they going crazy. Like, we pull up, the bus is rocking, everything. But when we came out and jumped on Clemson head so so fast, like, before you knew it, the game was, like, we was out of here. It was over. You, that um, was probably one of the best feelings, like, the going, going to the atmosphere and beat them like we did. Yeah. And, Trey, it's a little bit different for an offensive lineman because you have contact every play. When you lock up with somebody, you can, like, feel the resistance. Was there a moment in that Clemson game where you locked up with one of their defensive linemen and you could kind of feel them quit? Or did, were they fighting the entire time on the defensive line? None. By, I want to say by, by the end of the third, like, we, we, we knew we had them took their soul by then. Like, not even, <laughs> not even at the defensive line position, like, we can see the linebackers. 
making misreads, starting to make misreads, fall off their fall off plays. It was it was just like the, the breath was took out of them by the end of the third. Right, right, exactly. And that had to be. And you play, you played against Aaron Donald, right? Against Pittsburgh that first game. Can you describe that experience now that he's arguably one of the best of all time? Uh, I came out against Aaron Donald was having a hell of a game. Like whole the whole week I'm I mean he wasn't he wasn't the Aaron Donald he is now, but he was right, the Aaron right. Donald in Pitt. But I came out I'm having a hell of a game against him. End of the first quarter I go down with a high ankle sprain. So I mean I, I don't speak on the, on him that much because I didn't get a chance to face him a whole game, but while I was in there we battled, so I like that, man. That's, I don't think I don't think there's any many people that can say that now in the league. So that's that's pretty cool too. So that national championship game, we talked about the two minutes before the mood going in. How were you guys feeling about that fast start? Did they do anything on the Auburn defensive line that surprised you? Was that start kind of was it startling for you guys? Uh, I won't say that anyone anything to startle. We just had to we had to get our feet on the ground. Really, I mean, coming into the game, we had it was some people saying SEC better than the ACC, SEC mm-hmm. this, SEC that, and Auburn Auburn was like they had just knocked off Bama with the lucky field goal, right? So, the kick six, yeah, team of destiny then, stuff. Then I think prior to that, either a game or two before that, they had beat Georgia. I want to say with the Deep ball with the with the pass bounce off one of the guys' head. Yep, yep. So they everybody was calling them the team of destiny. Then they was like the destiny team. They came out and at first, like we we really hadn't been in a dog fight like this. So right, going into that fight, that that kind of like okay, we we know who we are. They know who they are. Now let's see who gonna who gonna keep the gloves on the longest. So like, we knew we were gonna take some punches. We knew we could give punches back. We just had to like see if our guys were down to battle all night. So I've had this confirmed from a couple other guys from the team about the sign stealing. Kelvin Benjamin coming back and saying Craig knows the signs and everything like that. What was your? Oh man! What, what was the reaction like that? And how does a coach like Rick Trickett react to that? I'd love to hear that reaction. What was it like from your perspective? Man, it was. It was crazy, really, because uh, like we didn't we didn't go into the game expecting that. Like that was something that was threw at us on the fly. So uh, we call it in our plays and stuff, and everything we do, they're right there. Like we run we run an outside zone linebacker mm-hmm. blitz right to right into the zone. So everything we was doing, they was right like right on beat with it, right on beat with it. So that was. Like that was the main thing we had to we had to adjust to once we went into halftime and made adjustments when we came out we like the game was it was more of a fair game now but before we made adjustments it wasn't nothing we could do that they wasn't prepared for it was like if we send one bullet they gonna send three back at us. <laughs> so, what did what adjustments did you guys make from the offensive line specifically? Do you remember that like the adjustments you guys made? Oh uh, well, we was I. As far as offensive line, we was making calls and stuff, which the linebackers was reading off of our calls. So, like, we, we had Roger Louis calls, like, different offensive line calls. So, we had to stop, like, stop making the calls out loud. So, we was just, like, we was basically, like, as far as the guard, the guard will make a call or read the, read the backers and stuff, or the mm-hmm. center will read the backers, and we'll go, we'll play off of that. But, we couldn't come out making our calls straight out of the huddle type. And then we start going, like, hairy up a lot more. So, like, trying to get them off of ba- off balance before they can read. Yeah. And that played a big role. Awesome, man. Everybody said the same thing, too. That's, that's confirmed 100%. Uh, so, Trey, you're there. You talked about what Jameis said before in the huddle. Describe what it was like actually being on that field, watching Kelvin catch that pass. Was did he say anything in the huddle before that? What happened afterward? Just pretend, re, just recall as much as you can from being there on the field during that game winning play. Oh man, that like the biggest play of your career at that moment. But uh, it was like nothing. Nothing was said. We no one knew the ball was going to to uh, Kevin Benjamin. No one like it was. 
off of Jameis Reed, but just being, I, I remember locked up with my guy, and I'm like, I'm, the the pass was, if you go back and look, the pass was basically directly over me, like over the middle. So yeah, seeing the ball going, and it, it's in the air, and I'm locked up with my guy, but looking at the ball, and next thing you know, you got six five KB in the air, and it's like he decided to hit his hands, he come down with it. That was the best feeling. Like I feel like any football player could feel. So like after like once the ball went over my head, I'm and now it's to the point where I'm not even worried about my guy anymore. I'm like down the field hoping KB catches his pass. So when he came down with it, it was guys Auburn had it, Auburn guys over the top of him trying to ball out, trying to like get it out. Me and a few more offensive linemen, we all pulling pulling their guys off of Kevin Benjamin. It's like we going crazy at this moment. Uh, favorite moment of your sports career? Yeah, I definitely say that was the favorite mo- fa- favorite player of my sports career right there. That's Hands awesome, down. Man. That's awesome. Especially went right over your head. So after that happens, Florida State wins the national championship. You come back. You come back in 2014. What do you think the difference was in that 2013 team that pushed them on from 2012? And what do you think the difference was in 2014? Obviously, you guys still had a very successful season, but there were some slow starts, some start and stop. What do you think the main difference was in that 2013 team from 2012 and 2014? Oh, man, that was that's a tough call, the difference. Because I don't feel that we did anything different. We all we prepared the same way. It was like every game we came out, every team, had, we got everybody the best shot. Now, mm-hmm. we just, like, we just, that's the best shot. Like, this, this, so every, everything we played is the national championship game. You feel what I'm saying? So, like. Yeah, so it was like. Like, it was a bunch of We'll be down the track. Like, hey, we don't been in this position. You know, we don't been here. Now, let's turn it up. Now, let's turn it up. Right. See where we can go at now. And we'll come out the second half and bombs over bad dad. <laughs> so it was like it was the intensity level. You think 2014? It wasn't so much you guys. It was just the target and the going back to back and the intensity level that you faced each week. Right, right. That's what I think the main thing. Because at this point, it, it was it was it, which it, it still is now. It's tough to go. It's tough to repeat. But I mean, once once we became national champs in 2013, everybody was out mm-hmm. to knock us off. I feel like everybody wanted to make their name off of us. <laughs> A lot of fans wanted some wine after some of those games, man. I can't imagine going through them, dude. Those are some heart pounders. Um, one thing I do want to know: you got drafted oh, by man, the New yeah. England. Yeah, you got drafted by the New England Patriots. You played for uh, arguably the greatest of all time in any sport. Bill Belichick was. How was it like playing for Bill? Was he the toughest coach you ever played for? Uh, I'm gonna say Rick. Rick Trickett, the toughest. Still, there's t- Rick's still the toughest. Forever will meet in my life. <laughs> so, Rick's still number one, even over Bill. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to go with Coach Trickett as being the toughest coach. I love that, man. Uh, but but where's Bill check Frank? Go I ahead. I'll also say, by him being the toughest coach, Coach Trickett molded me to, like, molded me the most. And that is a, that is that is some high that's some high praise. You still talk with Coach Trickett from time to time, Trey? Yeah, we still conversate from time to time. Different things like, uh, man, Coach Trickett, like what he did with me as a player. Like I, I give I give all praise to him, like because not just not just being a player, but he he molded me as a a man as well. That's especially coming from the story that you had. And I got one final question for you. Number one. I want to say thank you for your time. This is some this is some great stuff. I have one final question for you. I've been asking everybody we do in these interviews with. 2013 Florida State, greatest college football team of all time, yes or no? Hands down. Easy? I, Not even close? Hands down. I've been getting I, – man, I've been if, – if you were on my Instagram, Facebook, I've been having these arguments with everybody. Everybody throwing the Miami team, the, like – Hands down, I feel, I feel Florida State 2013 best college team since college football started. I love it. Okay, you play you play 2008 Tim Tebow UF. What's the score? FSU 2013 versus 2008 Florida. Ooh, I, I, it's another nail biter Auburn game. But I like uh-huh. us. I like us by 
four. I like us by fourteen over Florida. <laughs> yeah, dude, two touchdown nail biter. I love yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, I like us by fourteen. I like us by fourteen too. Trey, just thank <laughs> you so much for your time, man. It was an absolute pleasure to speak with you. Anything else you want to say to Florida State fans before we hang up? And I just kind of bask in the glory of everything that you guys did 10 years ago, man. It's a fun time for FSU right now. Oh, man, I just thank y'all for having me on. Uh, Great time looking back at the times that went on. It's great memories. Like I said, I I never knew, like, when you mentioned the 1 in 38 consensus All-Americans and 1 in 7 interior Mm -hmm. offensive linemen, I never knew that. That's a a fact that I'm I'm glad that I just realized, like, I just, y'all just, told me so hey, i never man. knew that but you deserve it and rub it in their face the next time somebody tries to argue with you on instagram be like listen man I'm, I'm in rarefied air my friend right right you're the man dude thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it no problem thank y'all for having me on you Thanks, bet Jared. buddy go knows man that was fun go knows docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's the can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire now streaming on Paramount Plus.